Bibles. We serve a risen King. You can have a seat. Wow, 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 wow. We're done. <laughs> um, you know what? Can you help me welcome all of our campuses? We love you guys. Help me welcome the, guy, the men and women at our guy behind bars campus. Can we give it up for them? I was going to ask you this question. I'm like, why, why do you come to church? Honestly, I mean, why do, why do we all show up? We're going to have thousands of people who will show up tonight at multiple campuses. We'll have tens of thousands of people that will show up this week. And I got to thinking, why do we keep coming back here every single week? It's not because, you know, the guys up here are all that good looking. You know? Why do we keep coming back? And I got to thinking about, well, there's, there's probably a multitude of reasons why you, sh you showed up here. Maybe a friend dragged you here. Maybe you have no clue why you're here. But as I started thinking about all the reasons, I started boiling it down to just like a few reasons why we keep showing up to this place, right? And I think it's because we walk in this room and many of us are looking for just a little bit of hope, Right? Just a little bit of purpose. Tell me my life is going to mean something. We walk in here, and the reality is, at any given moment of any given life, we're looking for something. And that's why we keep coming back together, like looking for something. And this is what I'm learning about faith. It's what I'm learning about faith. It is absolutely in the time that I need it most, most often, that the well of faith is most depleted in my life, if I'm being straight with you. I wish faith were like a commodity, that like it was like money, where you could just store it up, store it up, store it up in the good times, and then when the bad times come, you just dip right in and everything's fine. But that isn't how it works in my life, and my guess is, that's not how it works in your life either. My guess is, when things get rough, you're looking around going, where's my faith? Where's my faith? This is why we come to church. You know why we come? Because faith isn't a commodity. Faith, in fact, the Apostle Paul says, we put on faith. You know why you keep showing up here? You may not even know it. It's because sometimes we need to be in a room where I can look at somebody else's faith and I can grab onto that and borrow it. See, the reason why we show up together and we keep coming back is because in any given room, at any given campus, there are people walking in and they're hanging by a thread and they're just going, I need to borrow a little bit of somebody's faith. Just a little bit of their faith. And sometimes you'll hear somebody like me get up here and talk about purpose and what God's doing. And you'll go, I'll, I'll grab onto that even though I don't know if I can believe it. Or you'll be in a message like last week when Sean says, man, don't quit the fight. And you were about to, you were about to. And you're like, okay, I'm not going to quit because I'll grab onto a little bit of his faith. See, this is what faith is. I, I heard this quote this week and I loved it. This pastor said it this way. He said, Christian faith is always mediated and always modeled by those who through seasons of struggle gracefully share some of their hard-won wisdom with the rest of us, having received it themselves from friends and mentors. Like we pass it on to each other. We glimpse 
what life could look like with Jesus by being around other, that God's doing stuff in their life. This is why we keep getting together. And this is why you keep hearing me and Ronnie and Sean and anybody that gets on the stage go, get yourself to church. Not because we want to see you and hear you sing. Some of you, I wish you would stop singing. It is because there are some, there's somebody who's walking in here and needing a little bit of your faith. Listen to me. There is no better way to live in the fullness of Jesus than to do it in community. There is no better way. Listen, you can't figure out your faith on your own. We need each other. And so you're going to hear this a ton, a ton coming We want to see, this is a big one, we want to see more than everybody showing up every single weekend because we need each other. We're going to make a push this fall to get every single person in this church in a smaller group. See, I know some of you went, oh, nope, done, done. No, 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 listen. I'm telling you, something happens when we're willing to get in a group of people and live life together and share faith together, and be discipled together. Listen, something happens. It happened to me, and a bunch of you, it happened to you, and we're going to throw the gauntlet down. We want to see everybody in a group. Everybody in a group. And if you get in a group with some weirdos, we'll get you out of that when you get another one. Listen, we want to get you in a group. But listen, the only way that works is if some of us step up and go, okay, okay. I'm in. I'm going to step into leading a group and sharing some of my faith. Listen, you don't have to be a Bible scholar, know that much, be that smart. In fact, we'll give you every tool you need. I'm begging you right now, if you can hear my voice at every single campus, could this be the year that you step into leading a group? Because we need it for each other's faith. And what you give in leadership, I promise you, it will come back to you. Press down, shaken together. This is what Jesus says, yeah? So if that's you, it's simple. You go on the app, you hit group life, you hit groups, you hit be a leader, and that's it. We'll help you. If you don't like, you know, technology, you can just go out old-fashioned. There's like paper out there. Go out right to the lobby, every single lobby. So that's what we're asking because it matters, not because we just want to talk about groups. This matters to following Jesus. Let's pray real quick. God, give us courage. Help us hear your word this day at every campus. Help us hear what you have to say to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get to Bible teaching time. Bible teaching time. If you have your Bible, this is my dad's Bible. Reverend Jim Parks is my dad's Bible. Um, If you have your Bible, I want you to flip it to the beginning. It's going to be in Ruth. Now, Ruth is one of those little, little books in the Bible that if you don't look real hard, you can get, go right past it. It's only three pages. So you're going to have to look. If you brought your Bible, you can get there the old-fashioned way. If you have your, your phone, go to Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth today. And, and I'm, I'm excited about talking about Ruth because the reality is that... Um, For this last year, I've been on this journey. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes. I have been very, very weepy today. Um, So, could be awesome, could be a mess. I've been on a journey for the last year 
because I've really been trying to understand. I'm 46 years old, and I've been following Jesus for over 20 years, but I'm really trying to understand, like, what does life look like in his kingdom? Like, what does he expect of me? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Because this is what all of us, man, are trying to figure out. Whether it's your first time in this place or like you've been coming here for a really long time from the very beginning, we're trying to figure out what, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does that look like? And so I've been on this journey for the last year trying to understand, all right, God, what does it look like to live in your kingdom? What does it mean? I, I want to I follow you with this rest half of my life as best as I possibly can. And, and as I've been sort of in this space, I've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. I've just been digging the Old Testament. And I, and I, I kind of, I've always known about Ruth, but I stumbled across this little book and there was something about the book that just caught my attention. This last week as I sort of just like was in it, I think something dawned on me about living with Jesus, about the stories of the Bible and what Ruth illustrates. A simple concept that the Bible is not a story of great people doing great things. It's just not. The Bible, Ruth, is a story about average people serving a great God. And see, that's inspiring to me because you're looking at Captain Average. No, 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 it's true, it's true. My kids tell me I try too hard. This, this actually happened. I get reminded on a regular basis how average I am. I, I preached a few weeks ago, and someone came up to me and said, I tell you what, that was really good for you. <laughs> Thanks, I guess. I, I love Ruth because I think Ruth, look, this is what Ruth does. It doesn't have any miracles, no like drama. No, like, um, villain. There's nothing miraculous. You read through Ruth and you know what it looks like? It looks like my life. <laughs> Just average. Just like average, this girl living life. And yet God has a great God story in the midst of the average. Every great story. Every great God story starts with average people who just give it to God. So let's dive in. Ruth chapter one. This is really key. Um, I think the Bible oftentimes will we'll read over little tiny verses. Um, and if you read over them, you kind of miss what the Bible's getting at. The very beginning, here's what the Bible says. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, this is what the Bible's trying to tell us. Not good stuff's happening. That's it. He's saying, in the day of the judges, this is what we know about the day of the judges when the judges ruled. It was a really rough time for Israel, really bad time. Like they were serving false gods. It was not good. Then the Bible says, so it was already not good. And then a famine came and that made it doubly not good, right? The rest of this first chapter chronicles a family of four who's living in a doubly not good time, right? This family of four, a dad, a wife, and two sons say, look, we can't make a living here. So we're going to go out to Moab and we're going to try to make a way for ourselves. I don't know if dad lost his job. I don't know what was going on, but whatever his prospects were there, they weren't very good. So he packs up his family and they trust him because 
We know this about the family, it's a godly family. They trust him, they're gonna try to do God's will, right? Sounds like us, right? We're, we're, we're just trying to get by in this world, trying to do right by our family. So he packs up his family and they move to Moab. The Bible tells us pretty quickly that some more bad things, it went from doubly not good to triply not good because the father dies. So this leaves Naomi, mom, and two sons. Now the two sons marry two foreign girls and then for whatever reason, the two sons die. So now the stage is set for what is not an average life, but a wasted one. See, because if you're Naomi, a wife, a widowed wife, whose two sons just died, and all you have is foreign in-laws, you are in trouble, right? This is what the Bible sets up for us, and Naomi looks at her life, and I gotta imagine for a minute, here's this godly woman who's trusted God in the journey, who set out on this great journey following her husband. Her husband died, her sons died, and there's nothing left. You ever felt like nothing's left? She sits across from her in-laws and one, one girl's name is Orpah. The other is Ruth. And she says, you can't, you can't live with me. See, look, your prospects with me are zero. Your prospects with me is destitution. You go back home to your family, you let me be. And Orpah sort of argues with her, she goes. But there's one girl, Ruth, who for whatever reason, won't. She won't. She argues with Naomi, she goes, I'm not gonna leave you. You're, my, you're blood to me now, you're kin to me, I'm not gonna leave you. And she has one of the most famous verses. In fact, it's a verse oftentimes that when I read it to you, some of you may know it, I get it all the time, like when I do weddings and I'm like, hey, what verse do you want in your ceremony? This is the verse that comes up right at the beginning, normally in a talk, and this is the verse, this is what Ruth says. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And it is sort of romantic until you realize she's talking to her mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, most people change their verse right after that. They're like, yeah, we'll go with something different in Corinthians. <laughs> Classic verse, right? Ruth. She's a kid. She's from Moab. Now think about what she's saying. She's saying, I'm so committed to you to doing the right thing. I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna do right by you. I'm gonna leave my family. I'm gonna leave, I've already left my religious tradition. I'm gonna follow yours. I'm gonna go wherever you go. I'm gonna do what's right, no matter what. I'll leave it all behind, because that's the right thing to do, right? And I think oftentimes, in our culture, when we get to moments where we have to do the right thing or we see movies when they do the right thing, isn't whatever happens next like the proof that you did the right thing? Now, I wasn't a very good student. I just wasn't. I, I tried, well, I didn't try that hard. But I wasn't very good. But I do remember there was a Greek philosopher. His name was Archimedes. And he said this. It's a mathematical principle that the shortest distance between two points is what? Straight line, right? Wouldn't it be nice if that were true in our faith? 
that the shortest distance between a right decision and what God has for us is a straight line. Unfortunately, this is what it oftentimes feels like. (laughs) Right? Like crazy all over the place. Like, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to step out and do the right thing. And this is when you're supposed to be rewarded. Right? Heaven opens. And like, it's the end of the movie. And you're like, you did the right thing. You get your full reward. Way to go. But that isn't how faith often works. I wish it were true that the shortest distance between this moment of right decision and what God has for us is a straight line, but it just isn't. It oftentimes is filled with zigs and zags and all kinds of things we don't always understand. I think think it's tough for us because these days we live in a culture that we want it now anyway, right? Like, it's a microwave culture. I saw it the other day. This was my kid. He was online playing his little, you know, thingy with the Fortnite deal and the dancing and all that. And he's playing some kid, I'm sure, that's over in Europe. And so he's playing with a kid in Europe instantaneously. And there's like a one-second little blip. And it's like, what's wrong with this thing? And I'm like, son, there is a signal going up to the sky, coming back down to Europe, and then instantaneously, you guys are playing. Do you realize it wasn't all that long ago that it took six weeks to get from Europe? (laughs) And half the people died. It's a one-second blip, man. This is how we are, right? We want it now, right now. Give it to me now. I'll do the right thing if I can get it now. And Ruth begins to lay out a lesson I'm learning. I see it in Ruth, but I see it in my life. It's what I call great God lesson number one in this story. That great God stories often have significant zigzags. Great God stories have zigzags. From the moment we do what's right, they're zigzags. And I think this is why Sean's message last week matters so much is because oftentimes we will translate a zig or a zag to God's forgotten me. I did the right thing, God. Why are we zigging? Why are we zagging? Where's the straight line, God? I thought destiny's coming now, right? And we quit. Now listen, I'd like to say that's a modern problem, but all you gotta do is look at Naomi. This is the mom, right? The mom in this story The zig happens. She's had one too many zigzags. She's done. At the end of chapter one, she's so done that she changes her name. Guys, when you change your name to bitterness, (laughs) which she did, you're you're done. She's like, I'm done. I'm done with the zigging and the zagging. I'm changing my name to bitterness. God has forgotten me. I don't want any more of this. See, that's... That happens all the time in zigs and in zags. But unfortunately, the reality is God's kingdom is filled with them. Little, what seems like detours. I think this week I've been so weepy because this has been a personal week of zigzags, man. Two of my favorite people in the whole wide world give their life to Jesus. In fact, I was part of her story. Um, her name is Lindsay, and Lindsay now does art 
called Lindsay Letters. Some of you ladies know about this gal. Listen, I knew her when she was 19. She came to Jesus in my youth group. She has dedicated her entire life to take her art form, and she, she does all kinds of amazing art that glorifies Jesus in, in God's name. This is what she's done. She married a kid that I knew when he was 18 who's given his entire life to being a pastor. Now, check out a zig. This last week, their daughter, their oldest daughter, was on a golf cart, and the golf cart sped off, and she fell off the back of the golf cart, and she, she, was, she passed out, and she hasn't regained consciousness. So this is a picture of little Eva right now. She's in a hospital, and the next 48 hours for her are absolutely critical. And, and in these moments, I go, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? Like, they've done all the right things with their life. God, why are we zigzagging right now? Next week, one of my best friends in the whole wide world will have surgery. Our founder, your pastor, Scott. And when I got the call in January and he's like, he's got a brain tumor, I'm like, wait, what? I don't know anybody, anybody who loves Jesus more than that man, nobody. My respect for him is so deep and so real and I go, wait, what? This is the life in God's kingdom. Sometimes we do the right things and what we think is gonna happen doesn't. And the question is, will we stay the course? Now, we're gonna do something that we don't normally do. So like, if you're watching online or you're one of our campuses, we don't normally do this. I don't care. There are literally tens and tens of thousands of people that will join us online and that are on our campuses. We're gonna link arms in prayer and we're gonna pray for that little girl and my good buddy, Scott. Okay? So if you can hear my voice anywhere in the world, will you bow your heads with me and we're gonna pray, God, we come before you, we trust you. We know this isn't the end of the story. We're gonna walk through this zig and zag with you, but we ask for miraculous healing. God, guide the hands of both surgeons in both these cases. God, miraculously touch that little girl and touch Scott. God, we stand before you knowing that you have a plan. We know you have a purpose. Give us faith in this season. We stand with our brother. We stand with that little girl. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, great God stories. They often have zigzags. So Ruth, Naomi, they're destitute. She's like, I'll go with you. And so they head back to their homeland, to her homeland, Naomi's. And the Bible tells us in verse two that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, a clan of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, this is Ruth, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Now let me tell you about gleaning because this is important. This is actually, gleaning is something that has held on up until just a few hundred years ago. It is something that many commonwealths, even in England, would set up for the destitute and the poor. And what the deal was is that it was required by law that a farmer 
after harvesting his field, would leave it rest for 24 to 48 hours so that the poorest in the community could come and pick up the scraps. That's what gleaning is. Now think about that. When you come out to glean, it is a raise of your hand saying, I am broke. I got nothing. But this is what Ruth says we got to do. We got nothing. So she comes to the field and she just goes to work. Now the Bible tells us that Boaz shows up and he sees her. Like he sees this kid absolutely crushing it in the field. She's just going after it after the harvest. Boaz goes to one of his foremen and he's like, hey, 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 who's that, who's that out there? Well, the foreman goes, oh, that girl, that's the Moabite girl. She's, the, she's been here from the very beginning. She has barely stopped working. Dude, she is crushing it. She never felt sorry for herself. She never stopped working. She just kept doing what, like, she's like, this is God's opportunity. I'll glean the field. Boaz goes to Ruth and he says, listen, I heard about you. You're the one that did right by someone in my family. See, Boaz was related to Naomi. He goes, you did right by my family, so I'm gonna do right by you. You're no longer gonna glean. I want you to walk through with the harvesters. But check this out. Check out what the King James says, because this is key. This is key. King James says this. Boaz says, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. Let's stop there for a minute. This is the other challenge when we're walking in God's kingdom. When I do right, I expect a straight line. And when I do right, I expect more than a handful of purpose. Anybody else? Do you know how much a handful is? About that much, okay? When I'm crushing it in a field and I'm always doing right and I'm never complaining and I'm doing my stuff. When God goes to give me some purpose, I'm looking for a dump truck full. Anybody else? Yeah. So he says handfuls of purpose, handfuls of purpose. Now here's the challenge, right? The truth is in my life, I'm a more guy, not a handful guy. Because I really have been trained in our culture that more is always better, right? More French fries are always better, right? More money's better, more house is better. If anything is good, a little bit more is always a little bit better, right? This is what we're trained. And so when it comes to God's purpose, when we're walking in his kingdom, we're not looking for handfuls of purpose. I want more. I got thinking about that. Let me ask you this. How much more do you need right now to help you believe that God loves you? How much more? How much more do you need to believe you're in God's will? Lesson two of a great God story is often our purpose is exposed in small handfuls. You see, God's up to something. I started thinking about this. Well, why are we surprised? Take your Bible and just go to the left a little bit. Isn't this what God did with his children, the children of Israel? Isn't this what he did? It's called manna. 
where he dropped a handful of manna every day for them? Isn't that what he did? I, I love that. It, it's an idea of provisional purpose, just enough purpose, right? Provisional purpose. I heard a scholar say it this way. They were in the desert, children of Israel. They were taken out of slavery, slavery by an unfamiliar God who each day provided a strange food that neither they nor their ancestors had ever seen before. The people didn't know if this invisible God would in fact provide food every day. They only received it one day at a time with no assurances for the future. Under those circumstances, the test is whether they would follow God even if they had only one day's supply of food. Provisional purpose. Why does God do that? Why does walking in his kingdom, why is it provisional purpose? Have Anybody have teenagers? Anybody have teenagers? Anybody, who has a teenager? Anybody know a teenager? <sighs> Go to the mall with a teenager. You know we talk about all this all the time, how God is with you. We say this all the time. Last message I talked about was like, God's with you. It's the greatest promise in scripture. But just because God's with you doesn't mean you're with God. Go to the mall with your 16-year-old. Start walking through the mall. My 16-year-old doesn't walk next to me. I'm with him. He is certainly not with me. I'll walk ahead. He's behind me. I slow down. He's in front. I'm like, I'll just follow him around. You know why I think God does provisional purposes? Because he's trying to teach us to walk with him. See, to be dependent on him. Just because he's with us doesn't mean we're with him. And what handfuls of purpose does, it makes me keep coming back to him and rely on him and seek him and be with him, right? Listen, provisional purpose, handfuls of purpose. It's a blessing because I think God knows at the heart, I'm just like the prodigal. If you give me a dump truck of purpose, I'll take it all and then I'll take credit for all of it. You know, we just do. He's like, I want you to walk with me. See, this is life in the kingdom. I'm learning. And it leads to the third thing that I learned in Ruth because we could actually do a series on Ruth and maybe one day we will. The rest of this story in the next two chapters are more zigs and more zags and more just provisional purpose. But at the end of the story, Ruth does marry Boaz. And when she took her last breath on planet Earth, here's what she would have thought about her existence. It was average and ordinary, and I was just faithful. That's it. Like, if you read this story and you skip the very last verse of the last chapter, you miss the big story, see? Because in verse 22, in something that oftentimes when I'm reading, we skip over, genealogy, because it's like boring, right? Probably can't pronounce half their names. This is how the verse reads. Obed was the father of Jesse. Now check it. Jesse was the father of David. Now think for a minute. Too often, when I don't see God carrying out my plan, or when he seems silent, I assume maybe he's just not at work. Maybe he doesn't have a plan. Maybe he's got nothing for me, 
right? When we zig and zag, when we only get provisional purpose, when we don't see our plans get activated in his kingdom, isn't it true we go, well, maybe he's not at work at all? Ruth certainly would have taken her last breath on planet earth and go, I'm not sure what my life meant, but let me tell you who David was. David was the line that Jesus came from. See, it isn't a stretch to say this. If you know Jesus, you know him because of a girl named Ruth. Thousands of years later, we sit here because of one girl's faith. I go, that's a lesson of a great God story. See, what I'm learning is that he is working on his plan. Look, our story, it isn't a story, doesn't have to be a story about us doing great things. See, the best story of all is a story of a great God. And I've been thinking, how do we go about activating great God stories in our life? Because here's my guess, you're here to find that out. And it's simple. And it's a single word, and it's all these lessons combined into one thing, and it comes down to this one word, surrender, period. See, your great God story lies on the other side of your surrender. Your great God story lies on the other side of your surrender. Let me ask you. When we talk about God's kingdom, don't we talk about it like an upside down kingdom? Like it's upside down, it's backward. Tell me another kingdom in this world that was started, built, and sustained on surrender. It doesn't normally work that way. Like if they invade you and you're like, okay, I give up, normally your kingdom's done, right? What if the kingdom is built on surrender? This kingdom that has outlasted all kingdoms since the time of its establishment and will be the final kingdom when it all said and done is built on surrender. Think about this. The king of kings, in order to fulfill his master plan, would have to surrender his rights and dip into this filthy world. Think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, he surrendered what was rightfully his in order to forgive our sins. And he couldn't have it both ways. Jesus was gonna have to give up something in order to bridge the gap for us. Surrender. It's the kingdom we serve. And as I've begun to understand what God wants of me, what he requires of me, it is surrender. Surrender of some of my dreams. Surrender of some of my plans, surrender of my control, like giving it up, right? And this is why we often say, just a few weeks ago, Sean said, following Jesus isn't the easiest way because surrender ain't easy. That ain't easy, right? Even if you're not a control freak, that ain't easy to go, okay, God, in this zig, in this zag, I'm just gonna keep trusting you. God, even though it's just provisional and I only have it for today, I'm just gonna trust you. Even though I don't see you working your plan, I'm just gonna trust you. This isn't easy, but it's the key element to living in God's kingdom. Listen, your great God's story 
lies on the other side of surrender. And not just one time. Living a life of surrender. This is what makes our kingdom upside down. This is what makes God's kingdom different. It's built on surrender. It's sustained on surrender. Your great God story is not found in your power. Look, this isn't just an Old Testament story. John 3.30 is pretty clear. What? I got to what? Decrease so that he might increase, right? The apostle Paul says his power is perfected. In other words, his power gets unleashed when? In my weakness. When I'm small. When I'm tiny. When I'm in that space of surrender. Listen. I don't know how to convince you. I don't know when your destiny's coming. I don't know how provisional purpose, what it's going to look like for you tomorrow. I don't know what his great God plan is, but I know that I would rather surrender my small little plan, my average little life to that great God than live the best I could on my own. So can everybody at all of our campuses, can you stand with me? We're going to do something a little different while we worship. Because surrender isn't just a one-time deal. Some of us surrendered our lives to Jesus, I don't know, 20 years ago. But we've forgotten how to let go of all the other stuff. So I'm going to invite you in a minute. to surrender. Some of you, it'll be for the very first time. And it's simple. The Bible's pretty clear. If you confess your sins with your mouth, you declare Jesus as king, you give your life to him, you surrender. Heaven forever, man. But for some of us in this room that know Jesus, we need to re-up on surrender. Maybe we need to go, God, you can have my job, my career, my dreams, I give it to you. I'd rather have a great God story than a great me story. I'd rather have a great God story. And so can everybody close their eyes? And I'm going to ask you if it's not too strange for you just to hold your hands out with palms up. And I'm going to ask you during this worship time to ask God what it is you need to surrender. See, I love this position because it's open-handed. It says, God, whatever I have is yours. Take what you need. I surrender it all. Whatever that is in your life, I'm going to ask you to spend a moment going, what is it that I need to surrender? Because listen, God has a great God life for you. He has a destiny and a purpose, but it comes on the other side of surrender. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, help us. Help us have courage to surrender our small little dreams and desires to your great God destiny for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.